Praise God, brothers and sisters. Um, I just wanted to share a few thoughts that I have had on my mind for the last probably like two or three weeks. Um, and I wanted to start off with, uh, can we, can you guys help me out with this? Can you guys make me a list of what rules God has for us? What do we need to do once we become believers? No right answers, Andre. Um, Love one another. Anyone else? Be on the worship team. Okay, so serving God. Oh, man. Um, What else do we need to do once we become Christians? Love people. Serve people. Okay, let's read in. Actually, what's the most important thing we need to do? Amen, Andre. Did you guys hear what Andre said? Okay, it's written in Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. The most important thing we can do. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus has silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So, these groups, these religious groups of people were coming up and they were trying to test Jesus. They were, before this, they asked him a question about resurrection. If, if, do you guys remember this? If, if, a, if a woman marries someone and her husband dies and then she gets married again and that husband dies and she gets married again, which husband is going to be the husband in heaven? And Jesus answered very wisely and he silenced them. And then the Pharisees decide that they want to um, also test him. And he says that, love the Lord, you shall love the Lord with your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And with that commandment, you keep the whole law. And I wanted to open to another verse, it's John fourteen fifteen. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. A lot of times we read this verse backwards. If you keep my commandments, you love me, right? That's how sometimes we read it. And I spent many years of my Christian life living this backwards, and I was always trying to prove something. I was always trying to prove my love for God by all my works. And so I wanted to show you guys this triangle. And this is kind of like, I hope you guys can read this. This is kind of like a pyramid where we think that if we do all these things listed here, and there's many more that I could add, that it will build up to loving God. 
On here is purity, self-control, fighting hypocrisy, holiness, loving others, and then higher up, serving, reading your Bible, praying. And, that's, and, and then we try, we try as hard as we can with all these things to build up and to love God. And then when we fail in any of these things, we feel like we don't love God, God doesn't love us, we're not deserving of Him. Oh, is that written upside down? Oh. It's all right? You guys can read it? Is it supposed to be written upside down? Good question. The verse does not read, if you love, if you keep my commandments, you love me. It says, if you love God, you will keep his commandments. It's, the verse is saying that if you love God, it is impossible not to keep his commandments. So, if all you need to do is love God and you keep his entire law, and that means you'll stop sinning, that makes it so easy to love God, right? Is it easy to love God? Is it? Loving God is the hardest thing you will ever do. And I'm preaching this not because I understand this, not because I've lived through this, not because I'm perfected in this, but you know how, like, your mom told you to never touch the iron? Like, the iron is hot. Don't touch it. Don't touch the stove because the stove is hot. And on the label, on the box, it says that the stove is hot. I touched that iron 15 times, and I'm coming here to tell you that that iron is hot and that you guys shouldn't touch it. I've learned so much off my own mistakes in my life, and God has teached me every day. And loving God is the hardest thing you will ever do. It is an everyday battle. It is an every hour battle. It is an every minute. It is an every second battle to love God. So now that we have the kind of like the theology portion where if I love God, I will keep his commandments, I will live pure, how do I go about loving God? Does anyone have any, how, how can we love God? Anyone have any suggestions? Okay. I like how Apostle Paul puts it. He says, we love him because he loved us first. We love Christ because he loved us first. Before God created the earth, before God created everything, he knew who he was going to create. He knew that his creation would go against him. He knew that he knew everything when he was creating the earth, that we were going to sin, that we were going to fall, that Adam and Eve were going to fall, that every day I'm going to go against him. And yet God still creates us and he sends his son to die for us. And understanding this kind of love, it does not, you cannot understand this love. There is no message. I can't say anything for you guys to understand this love. The pastor can't say anything. No message, nothing. It is the power of the Holy Spirit to show you that love in your life. Because if the power of the Holy Spirit shows you that love, you guys know the first church, how 
these people, once they were converted, what did they do? They sold everything they had. They were, they were going to be persecuted. They're going to be burned at the stake. You cannot have that kind of love towards God. You cannot just by reading or just by hearing someone. It is from the power of the Holy Spirit working in you when you become a believer. Once you understand how, how important, how we just sang this song that, and I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. Once God shows you a hint of how much his blood costs, how much his blood was poured out for you, that cost through the Holy Spirit, you'll see it. And I think Apostle Paul understood this verse. I mean, I think Apostle Paul understood that it is not by the power that men have, it is not by the power that anyone has to show this, but it is the power of God. And I want to read Ephesians 13.9. Ephesians 3.9, sorry. Actually, Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19. So Paul here is saying that he, he bows his knees and prays to the Father so that the Holy Spirit may show his abounding love to all the believers. He's saying, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, and that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge." that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And I was recently just at a teens camp that our church was doing, and, I'm, and you're talking with these teens, and it's almost like there's a wall just separating whatever you're saying between you and them. And you're, you're, trying, you're trying everything you can from your side. You're trying to present them the gospel, you're trying to show them Christ's love, you're trying to show them that God, Jesus died for them, and it's like a wall, and it's, it was, it's almost like disheartening when you, when you feel that, when you see that, but I just remembered what I was like at their age, and that I remember that how much I didn't want to hear any of this, I've heard it so much from my parents, and I remember it was, the, I was the same exact way as them, and then on the last day, I just told them, like, hey, I was exactly as you. I had the same, same desires as you. I had all my everything. My perspective was just on this world, everything the world can offer me. I didn't want anything from God. I wanted to enjoy as much time as I can in the world. And, and I, you can't show them that. The Holy Spirit is the one 
that shows that love to them. And it's, almost, and it's like, it's like I can, it's not the greatest example, but um, so when I was about 13 or 14, there's this mom that came up to my mom, and she, like all Russian parents, she has this daughter, and she's like, hey, like, and I'm, and, and I'm standing there, the daughter's standing there, and I'm just like cringing inside, and I'm like, please stop. And she's doing this, and it's like nothing, that's so unnatural, like, that, that's not how love works. You can't just force two people to get married. And part of loving God is having a personal, personal relationship with God. If you, if you get a um, husband and a wife, right? And what's a healthy relationship? If they just bought a nice house, is a healthy relationship is love between them where the husband is on one corner and the wife is on the other corner and whenever they need something, they come together and then they spread apart again? No. Love is when the husband and wife come together and the husband is, can talk for hours with the wife and the wife can talk with, for hours with the husband and there is unity between them. And that is the same way, even though this is not the best example, that is the same way with us with Christ. That once we understand this, the love that surpasses knowledge, you can't even understand it. I'm saying when you understand the love that surpasses knowledge, once you understand that, you have to have that relationship with God. You, like the wife talking to the husband and the husband talking to the wife, how can we talk with God? Through prayer. How can God talk to us? Through, re- through the scripture. And so part of this relationship with God includes you praying sincerely and genuinely before God and God in you reading the word and God opens up his word to you. And once you, it's really hard for me because I, I can't explain the amount of love that God has for us. And some people have never experienced that love. Some people don't know what that love is. And I believe that if anyone is sincere before God, if anyone is seeking after God, if anyone is reading his word, if he's like, God, please open up to me. And it's not like you pray and you read your Bible. It's not like you fake it till you make it, you know? It's the Bible says that draw, if you draw near to God, he draws near to you. The clo- if, you if you go and try to seek a relationship, genuinely seek a relationship with God, he will fill you with that love that surpasses knowledge, and that love that surpasses knowledge will be able to defeat sin in your life. Because if you love, can you guys... I, I, I kind of mentioned this, that this is an everyday battle, you know? Every hour you battle with, with your love for God. And you battle for your love for God. And you can't... Sorry, guys. 
It's an everyday battle. You struggle with it. I struggle with it. Everyone struggles. And just because I'm saying that if you love God, that makes you perfect and you never sin again, because that is a struggle, because loving God is such a struggle, we can't genuinely do it all the time. It's because we live with this sinful nature. We can, we can try as much as we can, but we have this sinful nature that's inside of our life that even after we become a Christian, we still have this sinful nature inside of us, this sinful nature that keeps trying to drag us back. Apostle Paul says that the spirit, the flesh wages war on the spirit and the spirit on the flesh, and there's an internal battle all the time. And I wanted just to end off with stop trying to fight your battles on your own. Stop trying to build that triangle. Stop trying to build that pyramid that if I do all these works, that God is going to love me. It's, it's through confessing that you're a sinner before God, and God fills you up with the Holy Spirit, and he fills you with this love that surpasses knowledge, and through that love, you're able to keep his commandments. And this is not... You're not going to be perfect. You're going to struggle. It's going to be every day. But if you seek God genuinely, God opens up to you. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, we're going to stand up right now. We're going to read Galatians chapter 4. Then we're going to do the prayer for needs and hear a word from um, Brother Daniel. So Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not defer at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of, as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. I beg of you, brethren, become, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. You have done me no wrong. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, and you did not despise or loathe. But you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a command commandable manner, and not only when I am present with you. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, 
You who want to be under law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by a free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through, through the promise. This is uh, allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants. One proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. The, now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at the time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is also now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of a free woman. Hallelujah, brothers and sisters. Praise God. Oops. All right, uh, so today my, my topic is, uh, I have a short word. Uh, it's nothing too, uh, you know, nothing too deep. Um, I had this word on my heart uh, this week uh, about healing, um, and specifically spiritual healing, uh, emotional, moral, and you can even apply this, uh, this short word to, to even physical healing. Um, you know, uh, I'd like to start off with reading a short, a short passage in Psalm 34, uh, verse 18, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now then, I would like to ask you guys, in, you know, in person a question. Why do we need healing? Uh, if anyone can raise their hand. Uh, just uh, to uh, healing specifically, uh, spiritual healing. Any guesses? No? <laughs> to build... To build faith. That is, yeah, that, that's correct. You're right. To build faith. We, specifically with, with spiritual healing, with, with really any kind of, of healing, we want to heal because it hurts somewhere. It hurts either spiritually, it hurts either emotionally, or it hurts, you know, morally, or, or in any of those ways. We want the hurting to stop. You know, you, you ride your bike, you know, down your driveway, top speed, and your chain flies off, and you, you hit the garage door, it's going to hurt. You know, and, you know, we start crying, and then, you know, mom runs out, yells at you, and then calms you down, and then gives you an ice pack, and, and, and she calms you down because, well, you, you know, you, you get scared, first of all, but then it starts hurting. But healing is, it is a process, uh, and it takes time, uh, you know, when you fall off your bike, you know, you get a scab or two, you know, the, the ice pack will help numb the pain temporarily, right? But it will take time for the wounds to heal completely, a week, two weeks, you know, either. Um, why does it take time, though, right? Specifically for, for spiritual healing. 
Uh, let's refer to Scripture. Uh, we'll open to, uh, to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. Um, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Um, look carefully where, where right, uh, I believe in, uh, in verse, uh, in verse 10. want to say that is verse, in verse 10. In verse 10, it says, after you have suffered for a little while, right? specifically this part, why can't, why can't it come immediately? Why can't, why can't we just you know, pray to God and healing comes immediately and fixes us and we're permanently fixed, specifically if you're spiritually either broken or you know, wounded? Um, you know, I, I believe the reason why is because God wants to heal us completely. He does not want to temporarily put a band-aid on a problem that is much deeper, that, is, that, is, you know, that, that, that will never be fixed unless you address it completely. Um, God wants to make us whole, not, you know, partially fix us, you know. It's like a flesh wound, you know, when you, you know, when you get a cut, uh, the bleeding just stopped, but, you know, you don't go and, you know, work out the next day, you know, you, you, you want to take care of it. You, you don't want to stress it, you need to clean it, you need to take care of it, you know. Same thing with, with us, you know. And this is where the devil attacks us as, as, as people that live in the flesh is the devil seeks when we are wounded and even if we even if we go to God and we ask God, help me, help me get through this, help me, help me because you see my pain, we can go to the altar call every statewide service. But if we don't, if we don't keep on praying and following God, devil will attack us because the wound is fresh. It is very easy to, you know, you, you, know, you get a little cut, you know, and it just heals and you do this and it starts bleeding again. I did that when I was in kindergarten, you know, I got in trouble when I did that. Um, you know, uh, but, okay, how do we resist the devil? Because the devil, again, it says, um, uh, your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I don't know, I, I saw in the news yesterday a horrible story somewhere, somewhere in Russia, I believe, uh, there is a circus, and um, a, a mother put a four-year-old daughter on, like, there's a net, right? And uh, it was like the rink, kind of where they do all like the, it was like a circus, right? And they had like lions jumping through hoops and all that stuff. And a mother put her child, her four-year-old child, on the border, on the border. But it was behind the net, right? Which was, it was like made of wire. It was supposed to withstand something that heavy. And the lioness, obviously they don't feed the animals so that they can do their tricks before the thing. But, you know, besides the point, the lioness, while she was performing her, her like trick or whatever she was doing, she she took off because she saw the little child behind the fence, pulled up the fence, and, and, and clawed the little baby. It's a horrible story, horrible story. I mean, the, the, the baby's okay, she's in, she's in the hospital, but, but that goes to show is that a lion won't attack somebody strong, it will seek for somebody weak 
somebody that is wounded, the weaker one, and you know, it, it, even in, in nature, a lion will seek a wounded, wounded prey first. Um, how, do we, how do we resist that, right? Um, in verse 9, it says, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Right? In other words, we need to help each other. If we, if we want to withstand the devil, we need to be around people that are either going through the same thing that we're going through or surround ourselves by people who have already been through what we've been through so that they can give us wisdom and, and advice. In uh, James 5.16, it says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I hope I said that right. Um, so we must, again, be in fellowship with people that are either going through the same thing as we're going through to, to essentially make, make it easier to stand up against, against the devil. I think another reason for why, why healing takes time is that sometimes the Lord wants us to realize the root cause of the suffering instead of putting a little band-aid on something. He sometimes says, okay, I can fix this problem, but you will go and you will do the same thing tomorrow and you will be hurt in the same way. You will sin in the same way. You will keep doing the same thing. So a lot of times when we are hurt, God gives us time to A, heal, but also realize what is causing, what is causing the pain, what is causing the suffering, not just on the surface it, to, to fix the, the, the true root of the problem. You know, um, I guess... I should probably tell you guys a story. Um, I, 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 Lord willing, I, would, I, I, I want to be a nurse one day. That's, that's what I'm going to school for right now. And uh, anyone who's, who's been going through there or is going to go through there, you know you have to take uh, the uh, anatomy physiology classes and whatnot. And you, ha- you, get, to, you get to dissect uh, you know, things, you know, dead animals, brains. It's fun. <laughs> and and I, I have a friend there. He's an exchange student from Vietnam. He speaks very little English, and whatever he says, I, I mean, every third word I understand, but I talk to him, you know, it's, we're really good, really good friends. He, he was my lab partner, and um, it, it was his first time handling a scalpel, and he wore, he, he didn't, I guess, he didn't know that, I mean, okay, not really, not, not that he didn't know, but I, I like to put on gloves that fit over my hand, and they're not loose. I don't like loose gloves. I, I, don't, I don't know why. I, I can't stand it, but he put on gloves that were oversized, and so he would be cutting and cutting and cutting, and like, after like a two-hour di- dissection, he takes his glove off, and his hand is in a bunch of little cuts. It's disgusting, and I was like, it's probably because of your glove, and he's like, no, 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 it's okay. I was like, okay, you know, next day, same thing. It took three dissections before he's like, okay, you know what, I'm going to put on the small glove. You know, and you put on the small glove, and I guess because it doesn't, it doesn't hang, you don't cut yourself when you're going with the scalpel because they're really, really sharp. But it, it was like, it, it was a really good story to where like, I'm like, look, you can put band-aids on those things all the time, but until you realize that the real problem behind everything, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to fix it. You know, but I mean, I guess back to, the, back to the main topic. When we call upon God to, to heal us or fix a broken part of our lives, he will fix everything. I do mean everything. Uh, not the part that we just struggle with. When we call upon the Lord, he, he wants to fix everything because he wants to make us whole. He won't fix his little part of ourselves that hurts. You know, because oftentimes we ask God, God, fix this problem in my life. Fix this part that's hurting, but, but this part, don't fix it. I'll fix it myself because I know better. But the problem is we say that and then, again, we go and hurt ourselves because we don't know better. We use our 
fleshly brains to try to comprehend something that is spiritual, that is not given to us, that is something that, that God is supposed to do for us. We are not able to comprehend the spiritual, especially when we're spiritually hurt. You know, um, uh, you know a, a lot of times even we'll give everything to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, fix everything in my life, every little problem. And he'll go start fixing everything, you know, and it feels good. But then at some point, you know, just like my own dad, I'll bring him as, you know, as an example, you know, he, uh, you know, he'll, he'll go to, to the doctor for something, you know, and he'll get his medicine. And this is not just my dad, this is a lot of people. He'll take it until he starts feeling good for the first two weeks, then he forgets about it, and then it comes back, and, you know, you know he should have been taking his medicine consistently, but, but that also happens in the spiritual world, too. We... We ask God to, to heal us, and he starts healing us, and we start to feel better. We start to feel like, we got this, we can do this, we can go, and then we let go of God and say, God, I got this, I can do this myself, and then you go, and because you didn't heal completely, you're wounded again. The same wound is cut open, and the devil's gonna, he's gonna use that to his advantage. So um, I'll go back to, again, First uh, Peter chapter five, verse six. It says, humble yourselves, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Amen. Praise God, brothers and sisters. How is everybody doing? Good. Who came to the youth tonight willingly? And then I, I assume the rest somebody made you come <laughs> today my i'll uh, i'll try to fit in within the 15 minutes that we have left unless you willingly want to stay over <laughs> that's a good one right <laughs> well my topic today it's uh, i i called it a willing mind a willing mind and uh, and then I was I was thinking of a good introduction, and uh, one of my coworkers today uh, unknowingly gave me the introduction. I was uh, we were talking about uh, kids, and, uh, and then by the way he he for some reason he was still thinking I have two kids, and then when I told that I. Um, I have now four kids. He was in a shock. I was like, when did that happen? So, uh, yeah, I had my, uh, my third daughter uh, a month ago, so I'm a blessed man. Three daughters already. And uh, he, we were talking school and where, did his, where his kids went private versus public. And then, uh, and then he was... I almost went to a Catholic school because my mom really wanted me to make me a Catholic. And he, he kind of started telling me the story that his mom kind of forced him to take his first communion, kind of they had the whole ritual, kind of, and then made him do all these things, go to Catholic church and all this. And then he is like, it, she only did it until I became a teenager when I had my own will at that point i said you're not gonna make me do this anymore so he kind of like bailed out and then kind of went just to public schools and he's like 
now she's passed away, but I think she's still yelling at me from the other side that I didn't go to a Catholic school and I didn't become what she wanted me to become because she was that dead set on making me kind of become what she wanted, but I turned this kid that uh, not what she wanted. And then I was thinking, so basically it became to a point in his life where his will kind of took over, like he wasn't doing the will of his mother anymore, it's like he had his own will and wanted to do his own things in life. And probably some of you either are past this point or thinking that uh, eventually you are, you'll get to a point where you're going to do your own will and parents won't tell you what to do. I remember my, I don't know, when I was 15, 16 years old, I was counting. Probably by the 18 years, when I would be 18, probably they'll still tell, tell me what to do, but probably by 20 years old, I should be able to kind of tell them what I want to do kind of thing. So, uh, so it's like, I think everybody gets to this, this period in life when you're, becomes to a point where you want to do your own will. And uh, the passage that I want to read today, that's the base for the sermon, is in uh, First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. First uh, uh, Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. And this is uh, when David is uh, kind of handing over the kingdom to Solomon. And it says, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. And I, uh, in the Russian translation, uh, I think it's at Sedushe. It kind of doesn't really give you this meaning. I think looking in all the English translation, uh, they all use this willing mind uh, kind of phrase. And, uh, and I think this is the, from... What I, what I said, this is probably the only place in Bible where it's, this phrase is used, is used, a willing mind. And, uh, and at this point, I think David kind of realizes that he doesn't know Solomon's heart. Only God knows what's in his heart. Because to this point, probably Solomon was kind of like any other of his sons. He had to follow probably some kind of rules. He had to follow some kind of rituals. He had to do this and that, and then, uh, but this point came where he's king now, and he could make whatever decisions he wanted, and David realized, like, not knowing what was on his mind, kind of like, maybe from the outside, he just behaved like a good kid, but you never know, kind of, what's in the, in, in the person's heart, and, and he's probably emphasizing this to Solomon, he probably had a lot of things ready for him, all, a, lot of, uh, a, lot, a lot of earthly things that uh, he, he uh, had uh, accumulated throughout his life. But he's saying, but for you, my son, know the God of your father. He's like, I've served God. I know who God is. And then he's like, and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. Because the 
God knows and searches the heart, and he knows the intent, what you want to do, what's on your heart. And if you're going to seek him, he'll let you find him. But if not, he will forsake you forever. And then um, as I was thinking about this, um, this topic, you probably, you probably all heard the, um, the public oath of office, kind of when, the, when it's giving to senators and everybody holds public office. And there's a line in there, like if you read it, I do solemnly swear that I will uphold the Constitution. And there is a portion in there that, they, that says that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. Even, even people kind of when they were probably putting this, this oath together, they were thinking like, Nobody knows what's on the person's mind. So he might be saying this, uh, this, uh, this oath, but in the back of his mind, he's probably thinking, now with the, this new position, what can I do? What can I uh, advance my own good? And it's uh, like without mental reservation, that like in the back of your mind, you don't have anything that kind of thinks otherwise or wants to do otherwise. And... Uh, and same thing, same thing, um, same thing with us. Probably you've heard this uh, this example uh, uh, a lot of a lot of times when the the kid is standing in the back uh, in the back seat and the parents are telling him to sit down and he doesn't want to sit and the, the parents make him sit down and he's like, well, I'm sitting down, but inside I'm still standing. Kind of like there's a lot of this and our lives that we might be, well, I'm, I'm behaving like this or I'm doing this, but I'm inside, I'm the opposite of what you may see on the outside. And uh, another, another, uh, another, I guess, example I want to share, maybe a confession, I guess, will be, <laughs> uh, probably was, I think, 2005, 2006, I was working at Home Depot and it was the New Year night, and there's another one coming up. And uh, as always, uh, I stayed probably until like 6 o'clock. And then I had to go to work at 7 o'clock. I don't know why they opened Home Depot at 7 on New Year's Day. But I was scheduled to work from 7 to 3. And of course, the youth had, uh, uh, were planning to go to the mountains at 11 or 12. So I had this idea, like I'm going to go, do everything that I'm supposed to do. Uh, it's like it's New Year, everybody. There's nobody in Home Depot. Well, I talk to the manager. They'll let me go, and I'll enjoy the, uh, go with the youth. So I go there, and uh, in the in the morning at seven. So I didn't sleep the whole night. So I was I was gonna work the whole day. So I was like, can I just finish what I have to do and then go uh, go home? And they're like, nope, you can't go home. I was like, but there's nobody here. Like, nope, you can't do it. So, and then I went to a different man, like, nope. So, like, but I was, and it kind of got me so frustrated. It was like, this is not fair. Like, it was like, why then don't they let me go? So, that day, I still remember that I went outside. I had places where to hide because <laughs> I was working outside pushing carts. So, that day, pretty much, I didn't do anything. Like, even though I was there, present at work, but I didn't do anything. Because why? I was unwilling to do anything. Because I, 
I, I had kind of like inside of me my own reasons of not, of why, not that I was right, but I was like this re rebellion, kind of do, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. And I was thinking probably in our life when, the, when we're serving the uh, Lord, sometimes we don't want to get involved in or serve the Lord because we have own, our own reasons. Because we have our own, oh, I'm not because, uh, and there's God probably a lot of reasons. Because if your heart is willing to do something, you probably don't even need to be asked. You're willing to do that, uh, that thing. Like if they, if they said, do, do this and this until 10 o'clock and you're free to go, I probably would have swept that Home Depot by 10 o'clock. Because that, that kind of like, I was, that kind of in my eyes kind of made me like, okay, that's it's something that I'm willing to sacrifice. And the same thing in our spiritual life. Like if we, don't, if we don't see a goal or if we're thinking like it's not worth it, we're starting to find all the other reasons not to get involved in the youth or not to get involved in anything. And, uh, and then uh, another uh, uh, verse in the Bible uh, I want to read is Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 6 through 8. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Right now you're probably making your own, uh, your own uh, decisions for life, your own goals, your own kind of desires, your own kind of vision, why, what do you want to do? But search and see what, what's, what, why are you doing those things? What's the why behind your goals and, and why are you willing to sacrifice the uh, maybe serving God for something else? And uh, another uh, example of this setting the mind on the, uh, on the, uh, on the flesh and worldly things. Uh, a couple of days ago, I, um, I saw in the news, probably um, uh, not many was in, in, the, in Russia, those that still believe in the communists, they, uh, they celebrated the, the 100 years of... Um, this youth organ organization called Kamsamol, and uh, they, it started in 1918 when they started this uh, youth. And then in the 60s, they, uh, they, they, the youth back in the 60s, they did this time capsule, kind of wrote kind of all their goals and the vision for the future, and kind of thinking so to be open on the 100 years anniversary. So when they open this thing up and it says like uh, the youth of the 60s to the youth of the 2018 and it's, it's underneath it says, well, by this time uh, you probably achieved all the goals of the communists. By this time the country is probably flourishing and they had this like vision and goals and everybody's laughing because none of those achieve, got achieved. But back in the day, they were like setting their mind on something worldly and something that in the future 
thinking that with time it's going to be this great future uh, which everything is going to be okay and nothing of that came to pass. Why? Because their mindset was on the worldly and fleshly things, not on God. And uh, this is a, a probably like a challenge to you. What are you setting your goals on? What you're willing to do today? Are you willing to serve God where you're finding excuses not to serve God or finding other reasons not to be involved? Because once you know what your goals are or once you have vision, it's, it's easy to do, to do the, uh, those things. But if, you don't, if you're kind of driven by something else to serve God, you're not going to get far. You might be doing a little bit, but you're not going to be getting far in life. And, uh, and then the, uh, another verse, it's, uh, you probably all know Daniel. Daniel 1.8, it says that, but Daniel made up his mind that he will not defile himself. Once you make up your mind what you want to do, it becomes much easier to stand for what you believe in. Daniel and his friends, they made up their mind. They made up their mind. They're not, they're not going to defile themselves. And after that, it was very easy for them to stand. Because if, if, you, if you don't have a defined lines or defined standards based on the Bible, it will be very easy to get you sidetracked. It will be very easy to get you on something else, your mind on something else. Your willingness to serve God and, uh, and will disappear because you did not make up your mind. You're still kind of thinking, what should I do? What should I not do? And uh, uh, Isaiah 23.6 says that steadfast of mind, you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Those who are steadfast of mind, Isaiah says, like, they have peace. You don't have to worry what's going to happen tomorrow, what the economy, the world, whatever is going to happen, because you're going to trust in God. And I'm going to go quickly through, the, through a couple more verses. Um, Romans 1.28, it says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper. And uh, you probably see a lot or hear a lot of mental problems this day. They call it mental problems, people with mental problems. I call it people that, gave, uh, that God gave them over to a depraved mind. Because it starts with probably back, back when they did not acknowledge God any longer. They started doing things that didn't honor God. And over time, they don't have peace in their mind. They're having now voices telling them to do bad stuff. Because they did not trust God. They were not willing to serve God. Their mind was on something else. And then uh, uh, same Romans chapter 12 verse 2. And do not be confirmed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove that the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Apostle Paul is calling us to the renewing of our mind daily, willing. 
And probably you should, uh, you should uh, ask yourself, how many things in your life you're doing willingly and how many things you're not doing willingly where you're being forced? And then ask why. Can I just list, list the things that you're not doing willingly and ask why? Because somebody, somebody uh, says to you something where you're not willing to, to get involved or serve the Lord. Kind of list all the reasons why you're doing those things unwillingly, where you don't wanna will, uh, you're not willing to, to do those things. And try to resolve those. Try to resolve those. And once you resolve those things that are making you unwilling to do, kind of I was telling about my work experience, probably there was kind of I had in my mind a reason why I wasn't going to work that day. And I was justifying my, my, I guess, bad behavior for some with a, with a, with a bad reason, right? And maybe, maybe we have those in our spiritual life that we're thinking we have a good reason. We're thinking we have a very good excuse not to serve the Lord. But God is faithful. God always is faithful. And uh, we already heard the, the greatest commandment. And that God is telling us today, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Again, that's the first and the greatest commandment, to serve God with a willing mind, with all our mind, not halfway. Because once you're willing to serve God, then it becomes easy. You probably can remember your favor when your parents asked you or promised you to that tomorrow you'll go somewhere and then uh, yeah, you have to wake up at 6 o'clock. Probably all it, for me all it I needed was a tap on my shoulder. I was up and ready to go. But if it was something that I was unwilling to do, probably needed to a lot more effort to get me up, right? And probably you all had those experiences. If you're willing to do something, it doesn't take a lot of effort to do those things if you're willing. If you're willing to serve God, it doesn't take a lot of effort and energy. You're actually enjoying serving the God. But if you have, in your mind, thinking you have reasons why you're not serving God, then you have to resolve those first. May God bless you. Uh, I took a couple extra minutes, but let's come, uh, let's stand up and ask God to remove all those things from our lives so we might willingly serve Him. Amen.